got? Check your levels there, Jim. Oh. How about now? There you go. Now. Welcome to the Eric Lang Show, Jim Urbina. I'm going to lay back. I get more comfortable the farther I lay back. You're, you're kind of a laid back dude. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I was like, we're, we're on this golf trip, right, with Akbar, And, um, you know, we're in, uh, we're at a very special place. Agreed. Currently, Agreed. right now, not just in an office, but we're in golf course at uh, on the border of Denver and Aurora, called the Common Ground Golf Course, CGA, Colorado Golf Association owned. And uh, it, it seems interesting as I as I look into you, right? Like it, it's for me, it's interesting to having the podcast, getting to know people, right? Um, I think I've I've looked into a lot of your work. It's you're kind of a mercurial uh, character in golf course architecture you know it seems like you're kind of everywhere kind of everywhere but uh nobody knows i was there right right yeah <laughs> you're, you're kind of this like uh you're kind of this like it's uh, not good for the resume yeah you're like the bagger vance of designing golf courses building golf courses working on golf courses yes yes very lucky and you know I've, i tell people all the time that uh, very We're, special that i get to go and do this stuff and uh, and, and get paid for it right uh, unbelievable you're hearing the background. That's the pro shop of CGA. Sweet of of, of Common Ground, where they're you know they, they we were going to sit outside, but there was a lot of mowing going on. You got to mow. Got <laughs> you got to mow the grass. <laughs> you got to mow, and you got to weed eat, and you got to take care of golf courses. Um, so if you're hearing that, that's not a it's not Dave Chappelle doing a comedy skit. They're just kids having a great time. Um, we just played nine. And uh, we had a great experience that, that uh, I don't know where the origin came from, but the uh, the caddy program you guys have here. Yes, yes. The Solich uh, Leadership Academy, uh, founded by George and his brother Duff uh, Solich, who were caddies, Evans caddy, uh, Evans caddy scholars of their own, and felt that it was a program in Denver that needed to come about. Uh, they funded it with the Colorado Golf Association and Ed Mate, and absolutely love it. I, I volunteer all my time for it. Today, you guys were gracious enough to take 12 of the caddies. We had a great time. Now, for people that don't know what the Evans Scholar is, I mean, I I learned about it on my first trip to St. Andrews, right? And it was basically, the story is, uh, you know, you, you, you come into a, a caddy situation from wherever your background is, and then that evolves, and you go into an educational scholarship to a school, and then some of them end up in St. Andrews. Well, a lot of caddies are all over the world, actually. Uh, but the Evans Scholar Program, uh, started by the Western Golf Association out of Chicago, Chick Evans was the was the founder of it, or the, the, the starter of it. The Western Golf Association funds uh, kids who are in caddy programs across the country, full-ride scholarships to universities across the United States. They're growing, they're getting bigger. The Solich Leadership Academy is not the Evans Scholar Program, but it's a feeder of that program. And the feeder program based in Denver, these kids will only do it for two years, and then they'll go on to be uh, uh, caddies at other clubs in the, in the Denver area and then apply for the Evans Scholar Program. The feeder program starts here. Today we were walking with 8th and ninth graders. You could tell they're special kids. Uh, I love it. Uh, I hope that you enjoyed the walk as much as I did with them. Yeah. I played great. <laughs> that you didn't hurt. Great. That didn't hurt. <laughs> Brooks helped you a lot. Yeah. yeah. Well, tell me a little bit about, um, you know, because I was just playing with my friend last week um, in NorCal, and he had never had a caddy. And when you go out at FGC, F- SFGC, 
it's mandatory. Yes. And he he expressed a little bit of guilt in sort of having another person carry his bag. I related to that from my own experience of being relatively new to golf, eight years. And I, now I've since gotten over that. But but what do you say to people who have that perspective on it in the beginning? I don't know if it's such a thing of, 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 of being afraid of it or, or thinking that you're doing something out of the ordinary. For the longest time, 30s, 40s, and 50s in the era of golf when it was just beginning, even the teens and 20s, there were caddies that carried bags. That's what they did. They made a living doing it. It's how people started playing the game as caddies. The Evans Scholarship Program, some of the most successful people were caddies. It's just part of uh, a part of the game that uh, major uh, metropolitan areas like Chicago, uh, New York, Long Island, Denver's trying to have it. Uh, it's caddy programs. It's kids earning a loop, carrying a bag. They're not reading the greens like bones at uh, Carnoustie. <laughs> They're not that. They're not taking 10% of your earnings. I don't know how much money you made today, Eric. But uh, <laughs> not on the golf course. <laughs> they're not taking 10% of the earnings. They're taking a loop. They're carrying a bag. It's a chance for somebody to be a mentor for young kids. And unfortunately, uh, there is the, the caddy programs are, being, are as a dying uh, group of people in, in across the U.S. We're trying to bring it back to Denver, Colorado uh, again. You shouldn't feel bad about taking a caddy. The kids have a chance to be outside, to walk, to play the game. Some of them don't play. Some do. Uh, some people are used to caddies that are at Pinehurst or Bandon Dunes Resort where they're, they're very professional. They read your putt. They do everything for you. But these caddies here, this is a grassroots program, and the program is to feed the Evans Scholar program. You should never feel guilty. The kids are out walking. You're a mentor. You have a chance to teach some kid something about what you do. They're all ears. Today, Deshaun walking with us, Brooks walking with us. They're listening. They're learning. And hopefully we're good mentors for these young kids. Yeah, you have to imagine as, uh, you know, getting into golf in, in the beginning is such a strange, uh, for me, it was a strange uh, sequence of events. You know, like I, I, I shouldn't have really gotten into golf. How did you get into golf? If you thought yours was strange, mine's is even stranger <laughs> because I didn't play golf. Uh, I, uh, I, in my hometown, Steel Mill Town, I didn't play golf. Pueblo, Colorado. Pueblo, Colorado. Yeah, you got to go sometime. Grew up in Bessemer. Um, we didn't play golf. Where I, I, you played football, you played basketball, baseball. That's what you did. And uh, so I wasn't exposed to it. But what if I would have been exposed like these young kids are today? Uh, some of these kids get a chance to meet some of the uh, the coolest people. Uh, as you know, golf has got tons of people that are cool and hang, uh, fun to be around. Akbar, your friend, Akbar. Yeah. Fun to be around. So we didn't grow up in the game, Eric. We both didn't do that. But what I learned from the game was that there was a lot of cool people. There was a lot of things to learn. There was a chance to travel. There was a chance to meet people and, 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 and uh, uh, be mentors and be mentored. And uh, I'm sorry that I didn't get a chance to be in the golf business as, as early as some of these kids do, get to. And and how did you get into it though? Was there was there an unusual day or? No, it was never a day. It was uh, funny. Uh, I tell the story a lot. Uh, you know, I couldn't get a real job. <laughs> <laughs> 
And so well, you I, mean you couldn't like within yourself, or you couldn't you did literally couldn't get a real well, job. Well, I, I went to school to be a teacher. Oh, okay. All right. I didn't play golf. I went to school to be a teacher. I thought I was going to uh, be coaching football or something like that. I did for a while, coach wrestling, but I didn't play golf. And but what I my summertime job um, was uh, building golf courses. While I was I taught for a couple of years. How I got that job was. I was scheduled to go fight forest fires uh, again. I uh, for a college career, I fought forest fires in the summertime. Well, wow. and so I was scheduled to go be a forest fire fighter for the uh, for the uh, 1981 season. Uh, and then you have that fork in the road. Everybody has that fork in the road. Well, my soon-to-be father-in-law suggested I get a real job, and he said, "Go down to this golf course in in the south of Denver, TPC at Plum Creek." It was called. And he said, they'll hire you. They're hiring anybody. <laughs> <laughs> and so I went down there, got hired, and uh, a long story short, the rest is history. Wow. Yeah. Never planned to be in it. Just a suggestion. Just a suggestion. Go get it. That a, you took. I took, the, I took the suggestion. I got a chance to meet a very fine man uh, by the name of Mr. Pete Dye. That's how I started. Whoa. And I worked for his son, Perry, in Denver, traveled around the country. And I thought, man, somebody's paying me to travel around the country building golf courses. On top of that, I got to meet people. On top of that, I got to to enjoy the game. Never played the game, started playing the game. Pete Dye never wanted me to play the game. Why? He said he thought it would ruin the way I built the golf course. Because he doesn't really play. He's really a fine player, but he tries to detune that from his uh, ideas of the way he built golf courses. Some people think he doesn't play golf because his golf courses are so hard. They're pretty hard. As you know. But uh, he taught me how to build. He taught me how to create. He taught me how to, uh, to uh, uh, understand the game. And because I was a high school drafting teacher, I knew how to draw already, and I knew how to read topo maps. But so it was the synergy was kind of there, and because I fell in love with it and thought, man, this is pretty easy. I kind of like doing this, and they're paying me to do it. Uh, I just kept going on and on and on. Taught a couple years, but then went on and and, and stepped, stayed in the golf business. They sent me to St Andrews and in, in Scotland before it was fashionable back in the eighties. <laughs> it's like because I asked a stupid question. I said. What does Lynx golf mean? And they sent me to Scotland to learn about what Lynx golf was. The first golf course I visited was Presswick in Scotland. And I said, man, these golf courses are so much different than what we're building in America. So I was all fired up to come back to the United States and build nothing but Lynx golf. Small, oh, man. Uh, short uh, answer to a long, really long story. So, so wait. So, I, I kind of want to hear. So, you're at TPC for how many years until you meet Pete? Well, no, I uh, uh, actually met them right away. Uh, it was under construction. Uh, oh, I, it was being built. Yeah, it was being built. So, you went in there. First job was digging a ditch. Digging a ditch. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I said, I'm not digging this ditch anymore. <laughs> Digging a ditch. I was putting a, a tow drain in, a tow drain for some people who know. is What's a, a tow drain? It's a drain they put at the bottom of a dam to weep water out of it and carry it off. Okay. Called a tow drain. And that was my first job, digging a trench uh, and putting in pipe and ADS uh, and gravel. And I thought, man, how am I going to use my mom to get out of this? <laughs> how old were you at the time? Uh, I was 21 years old. 21. Yeah. And so you go in there and Pete's on site. Pete's on site. His his son's on site. And um, this is pre-Sawgrass. No, this was the golf course that was just 
after Sawgrass. Whoa, so he's on the scene. Yes, he's on the scene. Uh, uh, the commissioner, Dean Beeman, they were going to build Legend. these TP co- TPC courses all across the country. Did you get to work with Dean? Uh, I met him. Didn't get to work with him. Met him. Um, we got a phone call coming in. All right. It's Pete. He wants to know if I want to. Pete, Pete can hear his name ringing. <laughs> he wants to know if I want to come back. <laughs> So you worked with Pete for how many years? This is your mentor. Uh, I worked for Pete at TPC at Plum Creek. I uh, went on to work for him and his son at Riverdale Dunes, Denver, Colorado. Okay. Built a uh, built an open scape. You got to see that sometime. Riverdale Dunes, uh, North Denver. So that was my introduction to golf. TPC at Plum Creek and Riverdale Dunes, and and uh, so I went and taught for a couple years. I told uh, Pete and his son Perry. I said, you know. I'm going to go teach to see if I'm not missing something here. Wow, good for you. Went and taught for a couple of years, but found that golf was probably going to be my calling. Why? Because I love the travel. Yeah. I love being outside. I love working with my hands. I like being creative. And uh, I couldn't do that in a classroom because it was, you know, standards and, and, and things needed to be done, uh, uh, teaching, drafting, you know, drawn little lines. And, and, and it's and the same thing every year, potentially. Same thing every year. And what I found that I loved doing was being creative yeah. and being not the norm. And I think that's why Pete uh, Dye and his son Perry liked me, because I wasn't the norm. I didn't follow the rules. I didn't belong and dress like a golfer. I didn't play the game. It was so uh, abstract to me. I think that's why my creativity was so much better. You know, it makes me think two things. One is, um, you know, I've heard this thing. My, my dad said it to me at one point. Uh, true creativity stems from the mixing of, of, like, two things. So, like, if you took a chef and then put them in a role of, of working for an architecture firm, all of a sudden they're going to see architecture way differently than someone who grew up just wanting to make, uh, you know, the, the buildings that everyone else has made. That's one thing. So it's interesting to hear you coming from, you know, one background of wanting to teach uh, drafting and then yep. going into sort of building a walk for somebody. Building a walk, building a park path, building a bunker, building a green. And because I was so unconventional in a very conventional uh, system of, 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 of design, 18 holes, par fours, par threes, par fives, to me that had no relevance. I didn't play the game, so... Why don't would you, why don't you just build four par threes in a row? If the land lets you do that, <laughs> right? If the land lets you do that, why wouldn't you do that? Why would you move Mother Earth to make the par five fit after the par four fit after the par three? And so I think that's why Pete and his son Perry like me. Interesting. You were not beholden to the same paradigms that a golfer would and, have. And sadly, or uh, not sadly, they really directed me for the rest of my life by sending me to Presswick, Scotland, because I saw the Alps, I saw the Himalayas, I saw all of these holes that were so unconventional. You're, for people who don't know, you're not naming geographical uh, mountains. You're no, naming you're naming no. specific holes. Thank you very much. You know, I forget about that. That's Pete. Again. This is not the fried egg. The, Andy's got an. Ex- if if you're interested in this podcast, we've also got one with Sean Tully. We'll talk about him in a second. Uh, superintendent of the Meadow Club. We did Edwin Rold, uh, an Icelandic architect. Anyway, if you're interested in those things, definitely check out Andy's podcast, The Friday, which you've been on. Yes, yes. A- Andy's a great guy. I love Andy. Th- this is not that deep of a dive. No. You're no. naming the Alps and the, the Himalayas. Al- the Alps at uh, Presswick was, a, was a, a hole that you played over a dune. You didn't get to see the green. 
And so you played over this dune. You aimed at a target, and you and you hoped that it got on the green. You didn't get to see it land. Now, I've never played it. There's like a white rock on the mound, yes, I'm imagining. Yes, there's, there's a, a, a rock that you aim and hit over. And that was my introduction to golf. Amazing. And I thought, well, geez, this is how every golf course should be built. You liked it. I loved it. And I this is Old it. Tom. This is Old Tom Morris. The original 12-hole loop for the Open. The belt. Before you went to Carnoustie, before you went to St. Andrews, before you went to uh, Saint, uh, uh, Royal St. George's. Right. This was the place they played the Open at, 12 holes. You hit it over a rock. You hit it <laughs> through a, the, the Cardinal bunker. And I thought, shit, we got to be doing this all over the United States. A lot of people go to Lynx Golf and, you know, for, you, you can get multiple reactions. Because I think for a lot of people listening to this podcast where, you know, majority are in the United States. Yes. Majority haven't traveled to Scotland. It's, it's kind of cost prohibitive. Majority. <laughs> we're picking up. We got we got a uh, we got a large cord of metal wire on the deck. We're, we're, the microphones are on a safe. <laughs> And we've got shoe boxes holding them up. And then there's the large, uh, there's a lot. Oh, someone's trying to get in. We got, up oh, cell phone. We, we're in the epicenter here of golf. But yeah, a lot of people haven't done all these things. So for me, I mean, I remember um, it was, we had dinner last night. That's and we right. talked about so many cool things. That's right. That's um, right. One of the things that I'm thinking of right now is my first experience with Lynx Golf was discomfort. Yes. Right? Because in America, you're looking at golf on TV. You're looking at Target's fairways, first cut, second cut. You're, you're looking at things. I call them corridors. Corridors. Corridors of golf. Okay. And these corridors of golf in America are really cue points okay. in how you play the game. Well, the tree gets you going down the left side of the fairway. The mowing line gets you, uh, gets you aligned into where the center of the fairway. These mathematical geometric bunkers are positioned so that you can reach one, but you can't reach the other. And all of these things are very American-style architecture. When you go watch TV this weekend at Carnoustie or St. Andrews... This may come out after that, so... <laughs> but anyway. they Those Lynx golf courses have none of those cues. Right. You're teeing it up on the ground. You're not teeing it up on a tee box built uh, unconventionally four feet into the air. You don't have these fairways that are mowed 90 feet wide and then have a step cut. All of step these step cut step cut is what they 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 have a cut second cut second cut that keeps your ball from being oh. an unfair lie. How how dare they have an unfair <laughs> lie in golf? <laughs> but these are all these cues that golfers get to read and how to play the hole. Right. But on links golf, it's just an open canvas. There's no cues. There's no fairway lines. There's no tree lines. The grass is all the same color, and you're just kind of hoping you're aiming in the right direction. And when you think you've hit your best shot, you're right in the center of the fairway, but there happens to be a bunker. <laughs> and people say, well, geez, I hit my best shot, and I'm in a bunker. Well, it wasn't your best shot, was it? <laughs> you should have stayed left or right. Yeah. So that's why the fascination of being at Presswick and being on Lynx golf courses when I was so moldable as a shaper brought my brought my uh, cognizant of how Lynx golf is so different from, from American golf. And thankfully, thankfully, Mike Kaiser allowing me to work at Bannon Dunes Resort at uh, Pacific Dunes and Old Mac. Those are courses two and three. Two and, uh, two and four. Two and four. Two and four. At, he believed in that style of architecture. 
no cues, go out and play, hit the ball, find it and play it again. But somehow, Lynx Golf, when it came to America, started to have a formula. Mm. And so all the golf courses started to look the same. And so when I said to you last night, the reason the golf pros at Carnoustie or on Lynx Golf Courses are hitting it all over the place because they have no cues. They have no areas to aim to. They're like, they're, the horizon is wide open. And they're like, well, where do I hit it? I need a cue. They don't have cues. And so that's why golf is so different on Lynx golf courses compared to American golf courses. How would you, how would you uh, sum up Lynx golf if you didn't have a photo? I mean, you just did, but I mean, I guess, I guess, would, how would you sum up the uh, the modus operandi, right, of of Lynx golf and, and the creation of it? If you were two ways, I look at it. If you're watching it on TV, Lynx golf compared to American golf. If you're watching it on TV. It's more fun to watch the ball rolling on the ground on Lynx Golf than it is to watch it in the air. Oh. How boring watching a ball fly in the air for 170 yards and then poop land on this green. What's way more fun is watching the ball roll on the ground, going over a hump, through a hollow, kicking towards the green, but maybe away from the green. Balls on the ground rolling is Lynx Golf. And that's why you won't see usually a bunker right in front of the green because you have to be able to roll the ball on. The wind is, is, is a factor. Right. And somehow American golf architecture became in the air. I find it kind of terrifying. I think it's lovely. I think well, that's the logo of my, my uh, company, a seven iron, because I play everything on the ground. You saw me today. Yeah. I hit a three medal from 90 yards away watching the ball roll up. That's the game. That's the game I like to play. I can't put it up in the air. Right. I can't put it up in the air like other people. But at least I have the option to play it on the ground. And that's what I learned playing at Presswick. That's what Pete and Perry Dye pounded into my head on the ground, and, and I've, I've loved it ever since. And then as far as, uh, I mean, I'm just filled with questions. I'll be I, I'm filled with answers, and I don't yeah. know where we're going with this, but if I didn't answer the question, the difference between Lynx golf and, and, and uh, Parkland golf or what you see in America, the ball stays up in the air in America, and, and links golf, it's better to stay on the ground. I guess. I guess the question I have is, uh, I guess it depends on who you ask. But is 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 we're in twenty eighteen? Is golf an American game or not? You know, if you ask the Scots and, and where the game was founded, you know everybody played it over there. And when they came to America, it was only for the few. The few. Uh, now public golf courses like Common Ground here, where everybody's out there playing. You saw how busy it was. Everybody's out enjoying the game. But when it first came to America, it was only for a few people, a few that could afford it, that had the time. But now today, Common Ground is a shining example of, of people getting to enjoy the game more than ever before. But the Scots would say, you know, uh, it started with us. Everybody played it. It was the national pastime. And uh, you can definitely tell when you go there. Aside from the actual grass and the sand and the greens, what is the most noticeable thing about uh, your first trip to Scotland as a golfer? I think the way that people play the game. Walking. The You don't see golf carts. That's the first thing you notice. Uh, first thing I didn't, uh, I didn't realize, wait a minute, where's the golf carts? Where's the golf cart paths? Oh, really? There's no paths. There's no carts. People <laughs> walk. What a cool concept. 
And that all goes back to the caddy program at uh, Common Ground. Walking, enjoying, getting the feel of the ground, interacting. How many times do we laugh and joke between each other? Right. When you're in golf carts, you don't get to laugh and joke. It ruins the vibe. Well, you're just, I mean, my dad couldn't play golf. He's 90 years old, 92, going to be 92. He couldn't play golf if he didn't have a cart. We're in agreement on that. Sure. But if you have a chance to walk and to interact and to play and to have a caddy or not a caddy, just to have fun with your people, when you're walking down a fairway, that's where you have it. When you're separated by carts, it's tough. And that's what I noticed the difference between Lynx golf, when I went to Scotland, and American was that everybody walks. There's no golf carts. All right, so let's go to school for a second here. Uh, I, I'm, I'm assuming that a lot of you guys listening out there, uh, some of you might know a little bit about C.B. McDonald. Jim, can you, can you school us on this, on this uh, great creature of uh, golf? Well, I, I can't school you as much as a, a, a dear friend of mine who passed away, George Botto. He was the, he was the master of C.B. McDonald, wrote a book called The Evangelist of Golf. If you want to learn about C.B. McDonald, read the book Evangelist of Golf, written by George Botto. And it kind of chronicle, uh, chronicles his, his start in golf. Uh, he, was, uh, he went to St. Andrews at a young age. American guy, though. Or American Canadian. guy. No, yeah, American. Okay. American, American uh, uh, went to St. Andrews at a young age. I'm talking 18 and 90. 18, 1880s. 1880s, 1890s, 16 years old, um, uh, schooled by old Tom Morris, uh, uh, understands that the game is so much different and, and that Americans needed to experience that kind of game. Because there was no golf in America. It was golf, but not like... Not like um, uh, he wanted it to be. He okay. wanted to, to have these these holes that were were uh, ideal, uh, that were uh, uh, some of the famous golf courses in Scotland and, and, and the UK. And golf courses had been built in America, but they were very, uh, very archaic in their presentation. And so when he came back from his tour or his study in Scotland, he built the finest golf course in the country. And people are going to argue with me all they want. To this day. To this day, it's the finest. And <laughs> you could argue with me all you want. The National Golf Links of America is the finest golf course in America. And that was the creation of Charles Blair McDonald after he had studied the ideal holes of the U.K., brought him back to America, had Seth Rayner, an engineer, take out and survey and put them on the land in eastern Long Island. And by the way, Seth Rayner was not a golfer. Yeah, you just—I didn't know that. Well, yeah. tell me this. Uh, not to not to get off track. Seth Rayner was an engineer, and C.B. McDonald gave him these plans and drawings and notes and said, "Let's go build this golf course." The National Golf Links of America didn't have the name yet. But again, another man who knew nothing about golf. And the story is he uh, he didn't know the difference between a tennis ball and a golf ball. <laughs> so look how creative Seth Rayner was to C.B. McDonald, much like I was in the beginning helping Pete and his son Perry be creative. I'm not comparing myself to Seth Rayner. I'm only comparing the ideology of guys that didn't know anything about golf but were able to create unbelievable pieces of topography in golf and and, and take that, what they learned in the U.K., and bringing it, bringing it to America. 
I love that idea of two people, kind of uh, the straight man and the funny guy, kind of coming together to build something. The only I think Seth Rainer course I've played is Southampton. Great, that's a great golf course, Southampton. That was uh, right next to the uh, Shinnecock, yeah. where they just had the uh, U.S. Open. So yes, good, good uh, golf course. Uh, not in the same uh, uh, echelon as the National Golf Links of America, but that's okay. It doesn't yeah. have to be. But you know, there are several East Hampton, uh, Southampton. Uh, uh, you have um, uh, the National Golf Links of America. You have Piping Rock, the Creek Club. The list goes on and on. I've seen them all. I love them. I'm addicted to them. Uh, I'll argue with anybody. The National Golf Links of America started architecture in America with golf and the creativity that it could be. Now, I, I have not had the, luck, the good luck of playing uh, golf national, but um, but I guess I, I to go back to – well, first I want to just touch on this Seth Rainer thing. My experience of playing Southampton, um, I wasn't quite ready for it, Yep. right? Um, one of the flattest – pieces of property i've ever seen in my life yes one of the most interesting golf courses i've ever played on yes square flat greens uh you know just just geometric really and and i hadn't seen that before well geometric in a sense of 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 the way the greens were built the way the angles were created uh not very free-flowing i think that's why i fell in love with it because you could take a piece of property as flat as the golf course south that you played and have something very creative Remember, not everybody was going to have Cypress Point in in California. Not everybody was going to have Pine Valley in New Jersey. Not everybody was going to have pieces of property like that. But what we found out, and after studying what McDonald and Rayner were doing back then, is that you could take a pretty mundane piece of property, create these features, the Redan, the Alps, the Punch Bowl, and you could create these landforms, big landforms as, you, as you've uh, recognized, on a, a pretty flat piece of property and create interest and character uh, just by creating these features. And that's what you got to experience. The National took an unbelievable piece of property, the National Golf Links of America, put those features, the Redan, the ideal holes, on that land, and it was it's spectacular. Now, why do you think C.B. McDonald isn't quite as famous of a name as Tillinghaster McKenzie? Well, it depends on who you talk to. Uh, <laughs> I would say that he's, he's not—I have the three M's. Okay. okay. I, I, the three M's of, of my uh, uh, architectural uh, uh, creativity are McDonald, McKenzie, and Maxwell. Nobody see, really. I don't even know Maxwell. Well, see, th- th- he's a, he's part of the three M company. <laughs> no disrespect. <laughs> no disrespect to the three M company. McDonald, McKenzie, and, and Maxwell. They really are my inspiration for architecture. A lot of people know McDonald. If you're on the East Coast, you know about McDonald. C.B. McDonald, you know about Seth Rayner. If you're in the Midwest, you really don't. You know Chicago Golf Club. You know Chicago Golf Club. Seth Rayner design. C.B. McDonald began the design, but Seth Rayner uh, uh, redid it and okay. uh, put his spin on it with McDonald's approval. Uh, but you won't see another Seth Rayner McDonald golf course until you go out west to Hawaii. Royal and, Hawaiian? Uh, uh, no, not uh, it's. Um, the name escapes me. I apologize. Okay. Um, but he did uh, two golf courses. In Mid-Pack? Mid-Pack, Mid-Pacific, right. and Wyalai. Akbar's brother's a member at Mid-Pack. Yes, exactly. Wyalai uh, was uh, Seth Rainer's, but he died before they finished it. Oh. So he never even got to see it finished. So those are the only two West, extreme West golf courses you're going to see of the McDonald Rainer fame. 
You got to go to. You have to come to California before you would have ever seen him again. Uh, he had three golf courses. He actually did the routing. Seth Rayner did the routing for Olympic Club. Oh wow! Never built it. He did the routing and um, uh, started to build the golf course at uh, uh, MPCC Monterey Peninsula Country Club. Never saw it finished. Mackenzie and Hunter finished it for Rayner, uh, and then he did the routing for Cypress Point, which a lot of people don't know. Uh, Seth, what Seth Rayner did the routing for Cypress Point, and Mackenzie followed it. Well, th- there's there's no evidence that he followed it uh, because nobody can find the Seth Rayner routing for Cypress Point. Oh. So you can only assume that Seth Rayner saw some of those features that Mackenzie saw, but really it was Mackenzie, Marion Hollins, and, and and several other. Uh, people who started Cypress Point, but you can see how far-reaching McDonald and Rayner were, but they never got him built. The last time Rayner stopped anywhere east of Mississippi River was Midland Hills and Somerset in Minneapolis-St. Paul area. Okay. Because that was his, that's, that's the last stop out west. So luckily, I'm uh, working at Midland Hills right now, restoring Rainer course. I love them. I love it. But mostly McDonald and Rainer, they were East Coast guys. Right. Yeamans Hall, I just restored uh, down in Charleston, South Carolina. They did a lot of courses in Florida. So they're East Coast people. They're not West Coast people. They're not Central, Midwest. They're mostly East Coast. That's how they know them. So uh, one more question about this. Uh, what defines the golden age, the golden era, golf courses? Great question. To me... Uh, golden age is is, is is of the era from 1910 to 1929, 1930. Oh, wow. To me, it's defined, and people will tell you different, but people, I look at it as the golf boom was just starting to happen in 1910, 1905. There were golf courses being built in the 1800s in the United States, but their their, their creativity and their, their strength, uh, their, 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 their uh, style of design... Um, Newport Country Club, uh, Chicago Golf Club, uh, uh, Exmoor in Chicago. Those golf courses were being built back in the 1800s, 1900s, the Glenview Club where I consulted. But they hadn't attained that level of architecture that McDonald brought to National Golf Links of America. And then Tillinghast shows up, and then Ross gets stronger, and then uh, McKenzie gets even stronger, and they start going to town between 1910 to 1929 before the Depression. That was really when the foundation of architecture in America started, and we keep going back to those golf courses, Shinnecock, the National, Pine Valley. Those are all in that golden age. That's when it started. That's the foundation, and we still try to emulate those golf courses today. What were some of the things that uh, that happened on those golf courses, uh, architecturally, uh, you know, shape wise, bunker wise, that are still being uh, you know used today, learned from today? Create the creativity of the landforms using good to, the best the best golf courses of the modern era being built use the foundation of good land that they used that they had at the, in the golden age. Cypress Point, unbelievable land, as you know. Pebble Beach, unbelievable land. An ocean helps. We know oceans help. But the Riviera Country Club in, in uh, L.A., um, uh, LACC, the one that Gil Hans has just uh, finished restoring, those were good pieces of property, but not everybody had that. Right. And so... Modern style architecture, the Sand Hills. Coor and Crenshaw had to go 
Coor and Crenshaw, Bill Coor, Ben Crenshaw, had to go to the middle of nowhere to find an unbelievable piece of land thanks to Dick Young's cap. That idea that you find good land first and then build a golf course was really from the golden age. And luckily, Coor and Crenshaw bought, brought that back to the modern era, and that's what I think we still keep going back to finding that good piece of land. Mike Kaiser finds that good piece of land, and then he finds an architect to help him build a golf course that applies golf architecture to the land, not fabrication. There's a difference. When you fabricate and you're building stuff and forcing it onto the land, you know, that's kind of modern feeling. That was very common, probably Pete Dye, Fazio. That was the the gig. That was the norm. People paid for that. People paid for that. And, you know, one of my favorite golf courses that Fazio did, Wade Hampton in Cashiers, North Carolina, is a piece of art. Shadow Creek in Las Vegas, total mount, mountains of dirt moved. It's a piece of art. It doesn't bug you. <clears throat> doesn't bug me. You know why it doesn't bug me? Because the creativity that got put into it was as good as anything that McDonald and Rainer did, creating features and landforms like you played at Southampton. Fazio just took it to a different level. Pete Dye just took it to a different level. Now, was everybody successful doing it? No, they weren't. That's an, you know one of the things that my friend Stu and I, who's like I said, he's been playing golf for a year and a half. I, I'm not. I know merely the the tip of anything that's going on here with with understanding the difference between these fabricated modern courses and these sort of. Um, much more minimalist golden era courses yes. or 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 modern takes on that you know when you look at like you said like whatever abandon or where we're going this weekend yes um yes. valley neil yeah uh, uh, wh- wh- how do you see it? like like we we talked a little bit last night like we were talking about the uh the the Beeritz yes green so can the Beeritz green began at north barrack uh, it actually did not oh it did not it it, it began in france what? And it was called the Chasm Hole, and it was in Biarritz, France. That would make sense. All right. So <laughs> uh, that's where it really came from. But okay. the hole no longer exists. It's it's, oh. it's got a hotel sitting on top of it now. What is the hole for those who haven't played? The hole, uh, the Biarritz was a hole that was between 195 to 225 yards long. Huge. Huge, long. Huge. It had a green. Wait, the hole is 225 yards. Yes. The okay, hole so it's a long par three. Long par three, okay. one shot hole. It had a green that was the landform that was separated by a swale, what we know today as a swale, a big, deep swale. That's what people will see when they go see the Beer Ritz at Yeamans Hall, at Piping Rock, at the Yale Golf Club, on and on and on, Chicago Golf Club. They're everywhere. Right. It's basically two greens, and then in the middle, there's kind of like a, a, a small Swim. saddle. That's right. Yeah. And sometimes— That's like, also a green. That's also a green. But sometimes, like at Yeamans Hall, they wanted me to restore the front part of the green, but I can't. It's too steep. We left it at fairway. And some of the chasm holes or the beer ritz holes were fairways, so you could bounce the ball onto the fairway, and then it would advance onto the green. Right. The swale was supposed to emulate the chasm or the or the or the carry uh, that you would use to, to to get up to the upper part of the green. But it was based in beer ritz, France, called the chasm hole, and now people play build it all over the place. The golf hole that you played, I believe it's the 16th hole at, at North Berwick, has that same feature. Right. People would have mistakenly, not uh, and, and not a negative in any way, mistakenly 
assume that that's where McDonald got the idea for the beer or its green, but it wasn't. It was from France. So I, the reason why I bring this green up is that uh, if if some if some guy comes out today and builds it, you're going to call him. You're going to make fun of it. You're, gonna, you're not going to take it seriously. Most people would make fun of it. You know, and and we played uh, Links at Spanish Bay. Um, I had never played it. It's it's. It, have you played it? Have you been there? Yes, I have. Now, can you just contextualize this experience for me, right? I'm there. It's a wonderful piece of property. I feel sometimes inspired, but I don't even feel nearly as inspired as I do on some inland holes at Spyglass or, or, or I mean, you know, even Cyprus. There, are, most of Cyprus is inland. Two thirds of it is mm-hmm. you don't see any water. Mm-hmm. I give way extra points to a course that can. Uh, excite me that has really no incredible features other than grass and trees, right? Right, right. Now, how do you look at a course like Links to Spanish Bay, new course? I, I, I'm, not, I'm not interested in sort of dishing negative on anybody. I'm just trying to understand and contextualize what, what happens as, as we humans go out, build golf courses, play golf courses. How do we perceive things differently based on when they were made or when they or how new they are, how old they are, and what what tricks are occurring at at for example Spanish Bay where I have these like little pockets on the green? They upset me. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, it it all depends on the intent of the architecture. Uh, at Spyglass uh, in California, uh, where you played, the the intent was using the landforms that were there uh, and creating golf around those landforms. Uh, I don't mind the golf course. It's just it's I would seek out something different than that. I would go to Paso Tempo. Right. Because it's a different architecture of that time. It doesn't excite me. It excites a lot of people. The views are beautiful. Yeah. Unbelievable. But it's just a different style of architecture at that moment in time. What was going on at that time? You talked about minimalism. That is that started occurring in the, in the late uh, 80s, early 90s. You know, Coor and Crenshaw went to the Sandhills. They created a golf course. They minimalized the, it was minimalism. Were they some of the first uh, returns yes. to minimalism? Yes, Coor and Crenshaw started that. Okay, they started it. Yes, I oh. believe that they started it. Yeah. They went to. They found a piece of property. They didn't do much to it. Even when you go, when you think about Kapalua in Hawaii, they took the land and they just kind of created it. Oh, and, interesting. And they didn't move a lot of dirt. And moving dirt is not associated with minimalism it's making it look like you didn't do anything right or finding pieces of property spyglass is good but i'd rather go to pasta temple <laughs> because pasta temple has everything that you would want in a landform downhill uphill side hill lies and everything and everybody attributes something that they like in their game to a golf course that they play Hey, Sklar Brothers here, Randy and Jason, and we have a couple of podcasts. If you you know them or you don't know them, check them out. We do View from the Cheap Seats, which is sports and comedy, and we have a podcast called Dumb People Town where we break down stupid behavior done by stupid people in this stupid world of ours. It is hilarious. Check them both out. And now, check out this podcast. How, for those that haven't played Spyglass or Pasa Tiempo, I, I was lucky enough to literally play them back-to-back, Twilight and then Sunrise. You're lucky. And I, I felt pretty lucky. Yeah. My experience was that Pasa Tempo was almost aggressive, right? Like, like it's it, it's a it's a course that, unlike a lot of courses, I found myself being straight up nervous in the middle of the fairway. Well, I like the way you put that nervous. I think it tested your game. Yeah. Uh, you know what? People, different golf courses do different things for different people. 
of the golden age, they wanted you to play a game. They didn't want you to just go out and, and hit the ball and, and have it expectedly land in the same place, predictable place. They wanted you to think about what you played, the type of shot you were hitting, what you were doing on the golf course. And modern golf courses, they really don't do that. Do you see a lot of modern golf courses with bunkers in the middle of the fairway? No, why? Why? What? What, what is the paradigm that's causing all of this architecture just before Corin Crenshaw come in? The idea that a golf course should be, I hate to use the F word. You can fucking curse. I, I'm telling you, I'd hate to use it. <laughs> Fair and unfair. <laughs> Different F word. Different, Sorry, kids. Different F word. Fair and unfair. There's no such thing. Well, for many golfers in America, hitting a ball straight down the middle of the fairway and landing in a bunker, they would say, hey, I hit my best shot and I'm in a bunker. And I would say to them, if you hit your best shot, you would have been left of that bunker or right of that bunker. Yeah, or short or long, yeah. Or short or long. But see... Now Americans are starting to craft what they think is correct architecture and incorrect architecture. Interesting. Instead of playing the game that an architect has provided them. Now, am I saying that every fairway should have a bunker in the middle of the fairway? No. But I'm saying that McKenzie, on the third hole at Pasa Temple, put a cross bunker right in front of your face. <laughs> Because he wanted you to test the game. Right. And that's the difference between modern architecture and golden age architecture. Testing your game, testing your skill, testing your ability to think yourself around a golf course. And modern architecture, you haven't played many modern architects golf courses that have bunkers in the center of fairways. It's, it's interesting because one of the things about going back to this... Uh, sort of the discussion between these two types of golf courses, right? Not even Parkland and Lynx, but modern and golden era. You kind of have, there, there, there's an element of, um, it's, it's like a sophisticated, it's like complicated, it's like, a, it's like it takes a second to get used to, you know, I think I heard Andy say it's like the craft beer of, uh, of, of golf. You know, it's like you kind of have these wonderful uh, stamps that you can collect as you travel around and see a place and learn from it and say, huh, that's interesting. You know, you can look at a course all you want from yep. in the sky or, or in a picture, but yep. to actually play it is, uh, I, I don't know. It, it, it's, 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 it's interesting to watch, at least my friends do and my own history, to watch, you know, the, the love of golf sort of, sort of morph into the love of the history of the game through courses you can play. Courses you can play, uh, experiences that you have. To me... And I want to go back to that bunker in the middle of the fairway. <laughs> and I do because I want people to understand that architects aren't trying to make the game penal. They're trying to make the game interesting. I want you to think about yourself when you go around the golf course. Are you willing to challenge yourself on this hole? Are you willing to take a chance? Are you going to lay back? Are you going to steer left? Are you going to steer right? Are you going to recover from that bunker? Are you going to make the career sand safe? Those are all experiences in life, aren't they? Yeah. I'm not trying to get too deep here. You but I'm just saying your experience in life on a golf course. Sometimes I fail. Sometimes I succeed. Sometimes I hit it in a bunker. Sometimes I don't. And doggone it if that freaking time I visited Presswick back in the middle 80s, if that didn't steer myself to the way I think today. 
the game. It has challenges. Challenge yourself. So, so uh, Jim Urbina meets Pete Dye. Jim Urbina goes to Scotland. Jim Urbina decides to go teach for a bit. Jim Urbina, when do you meet Tom Doak? I meet Tom um, on a golf course. I met Tom actually at uh, TPC at Plum Creek. He was he was working on he was on the uh, construction crew. He was picking sticks, raking fairways. You were you were sort of about the same level. Yeah, we were we were we were. I was a shaper, and he was uh, he took photographs for Pete, and uh, he had uh, slides of all the golf courses he had visited in Scotland, and you know he wanted to be an architect just like Pete died, but. The difference between Tom and I, Tom grew up in the game. Oh, really? Tom would travel with his father, and he would play golf courses while his father went to uh, conventions. And so Tom grew up wanting to be a golf course architect. Tom followed the path of golf course architecture. For every time Tom took a left, I took a right. <laughs> and that's Course routing or just life? <laughs> everything. <laughs> Everything, you know, because he had, he knew what he wanted to be. Right. He wanted, he was driven to do that. I met Tom at TPC at Plum Creek. He was the guy that had these photos of golf courses in Scotland that I knew nothing about, but I found it up. I ended up finding it up two years later. He was the guy that um, read golf architecture books. I didn't care about golf architecture books. I read Hot Rod magazines. You know, <laughs> that's what I did. I, I read Men in Fire. That was a golf. That was a, a a book about fighting forest fires. That's what I did. So Tom, when I met him at TPC Plum Creek, he was he was driven to be an architect, and uh, you could tell he was going to be. Uh, uh, headed that direction, and and he was doing everything he could to to be a part of that. And you guys worked together, right? We worked together at TPC at Plum Creek, and then we went our separate ways. Actually, we worked together at Riverdale Dunes for a little bit. We went our separate ways, and then um, back in uh, 1992, um, I was ready to do something different. Uh, I had lost uh, the creativity with Pete and his son Perry. I just wanted to do something different. So I went to work on a golf course. Well, he, him and Gil Hands were working at Stonewall. Okay. I did a golf course in Charlotte, North Carolina uh, called Charlotte Golf Links. Okay. And that's how I started working with Tom. And then that continued for, a, a, I don't really know much of this history. I, I guess what I'm, re, what I'm really more, I don't really care about the facts and the dates yep. and the courses. Yep. What I'm really more interested in is what did you learn from him and how did it carry you into what you're doing right now? What I learned from Tom was that if you found a great piece of property you would have a great golf course and that if you know i said at one time if the 75 percent of the battle of a good golf course is the good property really but i've even convinced now more than ever that it's almost 90 percent. whoa the golf course will only be as good as the piece of property now you played southampton you played a very fine seth rayner golf course mcdonald rayner golf course Average piece of property, pretty doggone good. Yeah. Tell me another golf course that is on the top echelon of your excitement level that's not on an unbelievable piece of property. I would say Bethpage Black isn't really that impressive. I mean, Agreed. it's a relatively just a hilly forest. Great comeback. That's an excellent Thank comeback. You. Thank you. Because <laughs> it has all of those things that Tilling Hass wanted to throw at you. Right. Including the kitchen sink. But... 90%, 80% of the golf course of what 
golf courses that I and I'm not talking about rankings. Right. No, I'm talk talking, rankings. I'm talking about spiritual golf that you would go out and enjoy the walk. It's about the landform. And I've got to see some of the most unbelievable landforms. And if I could have just built a few more of those, they're very spiritual. The land, that's what I learned from Tom. Find the good piece of land and everything else will fill in. Mackenzie did it. McDonald did it. Uh, Tillinghast did it. Uh, Ross did it. They all found those special pieces of land. And, you know, Maxwell did it at Prairie Dunes. These are all special pieces of land, and that's what makes them good. They're not on dead, flat pieces of property. Now, you could come back to me and say Chicago Golf Club. That's a pretty damn good golf course, and it's on gentle, rolling land, but it's the landforms that Rainer and McDonald What about Somerset? You know, I like Somerset. I think it has some good some good golf holes, but in the upper echelon of, of creativity and 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 mind stimulation, you know, I'll just I'll just go you know across the road and 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 hang out uh, back over in Long Island at the National and Shinnecock. Right. You know, I used to have five favorite golf courses that I would tell anybody go see these five favorite golf courses. I've now put. Uh, I have now six, and Shinnecock is one of them. Really? I'm unbelievable. I saw Shinnecock, 1987, I saw Shinnecock, and I thought, this is a pretty cool place. And what John Jennings and the, and the staff and, and, and what they've done, Corin Crenshaw restoring back what Flynn had there is, is off the charts good. And that now I have six favorite, and Shinnecock is the sixth. You, you mentioned the word spiritual a second ago, not yeah. commonly uh, associated with golf on the no. face of it. No. Um, how do you find it as a player? Uh, for me, uh, spiritual is uh, what, what, what did I get out of that day? Huh. Uh, what did I get out of the walk? What, how did I get, what did I get out of the experience? Today, what we played today, walking, kidding with each other, uh, talking about golf, uh, talking about uh, uh, our walk, hitting shots. That shot you, sh- the shot you hit on five, Ooh. that was good. I mean, to me, that's spiritual. And yeah. watching you enjoy yourself, watching you hit that shot, for me, that's spiritual. I'm not a card and pencil guy, as Mackenzie would say. I don't need to write down a score. No. I know when I'm having fun. I know when I'm playing good. I know when it's spiritual. And that's all I'm looking for. Sometimes people put too much emphasis on the scorecard. Sometimes if you just played without the scorecard and you just went for a walk with Eric in L.A. or Southern California or Northern California, you'd get much, you'd have a lot more fun. Yeah. Sometimes ditch the scorecard. Uh, so where are you at in your career? We, we have yet to have a Jim Urbina golf course architect designed by, dreamed by. What's up? Well, um, good question. So, I've had, I mean, you, you've had your hands in hundreds of golf courses. Lots of golf courses. Lots of golf courses. As in your, and you're right, Eric. Only Old McDonald and Bannon Dunes has my name on it. Right. My, uh, my uh, creative, uh, cre- uh, creative license put on there, designed by Jim Urbino with Tom Doak. Uh, I'm hoping to announce something here, uh, maybe over the over Christmas, that I'd say we'll have my name on it. And uh, knock on wood, you'll be one of the first ones I have out there. Oh um, wow! I've had the chance to ha- do routings for for people. Um, as you know, not a lot of new golf courses are being built. Yeah. And unfortunately, um, at my time in my career, um, 
I wish I could have had this chance even earlier. But that's okay. I've got to build some of the most unbelievable places. You're going to go to Bally Neal. So um, I spent almost two years with Rupert O'Neill at Bally Neal walking. And, and the owner. The owner of Bally Neal, was the owner of Bally Neal. Uh, Dave Hensley, the GM there right now walking and, and, and envisioning what kind of golf holes were going to be there. You were there at moment zero. Before there was anything. Yeah. I rode around with Rupert uh, on an ATM, and we covered hundreds and <laughs> Wait, You mean ATV, but it sounded like you were on a cash machine. <laughs> <laughs> Did I say on an ATM? You said ATM. God, thank you. It was, it was kind of a cash machine. <laughs> I like it. I like it. It, it cost Rupert some money. An ATV. <laughs> and we cruised around, and, and I thought... Uh, my mind just bur- burning ideas, wishing I could have a chance to build this thing. Uh, Pe- sorry to interrupt. People don't know what Bally Neal is. Yes. It's a golf course in eastern Colorado. It's way the fuck out there. It's so <laughs> far out there, it's in Kansas. <laughs> I have no idea where we're going. You're going to love it. There's nothing there. Well, there is something. <laughs> Holyoke is there. It's okay. a town. It's a farming community. Uh, when I went and first looked at the piece of property, uh, the O'Neill brothers had uh, had uh, called Renaissance Golf Design and said, hey, we... we That's Tom's company, right? Not Tom's company, yeah. yeah. Uh, we know that you built Pacific Dunes. We have land kind of like that. And we know about the sand hills and how successful they were. I, we think we have land like that. So uh, I got a call from Renaissance Golf, and they said, hey, go out there and w- walk around with Rupert. Do you know about this land? I said, well... The land I know out there is just big rolling hills. There's no dunes. Colorado and native. Colorado native. You've driven everywhere on the state. Everywhere. I know everything about it. There's no dunes out there, like he said, the sand hills. Hmm. So I drove out there, met Rupert, and I've told you, you got to take the photo of the name of the street in Holyoke as you turn south to go to. He won't tell me the name. I won't tell you. i got to go there and take a photo. It's going to be better if you experience it yourself. <laughs> I went out there with Rupert, middle of February, freezing. Snow? No. Just, oh, because we're in Kansas. Oh, I, Kansas. It doesn't snow in Kansas. Uh, uh, we're out there driving around, and he's showing me these dunes, and he took me to the northern end of the property of what he was looking at, and the dunes were magnificent. They were huge, and I'm... And it was like the close encounters of the third kind. Have you ever seen that movie? Yeah. When they walk in the desert and they see those planes, you know, that came out of nowhere. That This is what Belly Neal was to me. I said to Rupert, I said, what is this doing here? And he says, these dunes are all over the place. And I was, he took me to the right perfect hill. And I looked over there and the sun was low because it was February. And I could see all the shadows wrinkling up on the dunes. And I thought, I can't believe this land is here. Let's go, Rupert. And we took off, and we just went down into these dunes. And we were at the northern end of what is now Belly Neal. And I said, Rupert, these dunes are too big. He said, what do you mean? Dunes are supposed to be big. That, those are some of the best golf courses. I said, these are too big. And so we kept working our way south on the AT, on ATVs, not ATMs. <laughs> and we got to, we got to the uh, uh, property, and I was freezing. I was so cold. And I climbed off the ATV. And I knelt down and huddled by the motor, and I was trying to warm up. And I, when I knelt down by the motor, I was kneeling on what is now the eighth tee at Bally Neal for people who have played there. You'll experience it. It's super private. No one really gets to play there. Well, it's just hard to get there. Yeah. I, no, think, I think they would welcome uh, other players, you know, if you got the chance to get out there, eastern Colorado, south of Holyoke. 
But I looked up this valley, and I said to Rupert, as I was warming my hands on the, on the motor, I said, Rupert, if you only build one hole, build this hole. And people will never believe they're in eastern Colorado. They'll think they're in the lynx lands of Ireland and Scotland. And he said, this hole right here? And I said, yes, build this hole right here. And he says, well, let's go find more of these holes. So we, during the course of that day, we drove around, and we, I kept finding little areas, and I thought this would work and this would work. But remember, Eric, this was before any stakes were laid out. This was before any grass lines were put in. These are just holes that are there. Yeah. And I'm like just freaking out thinking, let's start building this tomorrow. Rupert is with me, and he's now he's excited because I'm excited. And we find what is now the 16th hole. We find uh, other holes, the 15th hole, what I call the Dell hole, uh, the par 3. I just started seeing these holes, and I I – said without giving away my hand too much i said rupert you got pretty good piece of land sun started setting we went back to his office i drove home called renaissance golf design and i said you ain't gonna believe this land man you gotta get down here and so tom asked for a topo map got a topo map sent some routings um I went back out there with the stick routings, and uh, I went around with Rupert and started kind of mapping this out. You plant you plant twenty foot metal sticks. Put stakes out there. Stakes. Yeah, a big wood post, kind of how this routing was laying out. Showing the fairway, the tee, and the green. Yes, showing them what it could look like. But wow. Because the dunes are so big, and you're going to see this. The dunes are so big, you have to put scale to it. Right. And when you put the poles out there, you could kind of start to see what a hole looks like. And um, when we were done laying it out. And what I found out that there's more than just 18, there's 54, there's 90, there's 120, there's 700 golf holes out there, Eric. But eventually you got to build 18 of them. And yeah. that's why people sometimes don't appreciate architecture so much. 140 holes, but you got to build 18. you got to pick 18. Bummer. Why All... couldn't we have 21 holes? Oh. Or why couldn't we have... Uh, 24 holes on a scorecard. Why did somebody say... Well, that's not a rule. I know, but you see what the architecture... But it's a rule. It's a rule. It's a, it's a rule, and it, it ruins the spirit of golf because there's really amazing amount of holes out there that never got built because it wouldn't fit on a, fit, fit on a scorecard. No billionaire is going to let you come in after 17 or 20. No. They're never going to let you do it. No. They're going to say, well, Jim, most people would say you have to have 18. <laughs> really? But there's 21 out there. You'd really love it. This may be a stupid question, but I don't understand. So, so you're out here, and these are pure sand dunes. There's, there's nothing sand. on them. Nothing. What do you do? You just throw seed down. You put dirt over it. I don't understand. Well, how you, does it become golf? You, you, you decide where the routing's going to be. Once you determine where the routing's going to be, tees, greens, and fairways, then you, uh, you uh, mark out the 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 lines of the fairways, uh, how wide it's going to be. Then you uh, apply irrigation to it. And then you seed it. And when you do all of those things and nurture it, uh, fescue grass comes up, a very low water usage grass, and uh, poof, golf appears. Wait, there's no dirt. No you dirt. just do sand and seed. It's all sand and seed. That's the old course. That's all the courses. That's why they drain so well. And so for those people that out there that don't know why it's called lynx, maybe you could well, elaborate. Uh, lynx, the term lynx is officially or unofficially, however you want to look at it. <laughs> is land one dune in from the sea. 
land one dune in from the sea. I didn't know that. So the land that was just over the big dune was all wrinkly sand that had been blown off the beaches, off the rivers, off the estuaries. That was all lynx land. No trees. People in America think lynx golf is just a golf course with no trees, overshaped. Lynx land is one dune or one the land one dune from the sea. So when you get to Belly Neal, it was all sand. And that's why the grass is so brown at golf courses on the Lynx Rota. It's because it's sand underneath there. It's not rich, organic, Midwest soil. Oh. And so when fescue doesn't get water, it just goes brown. It doesn't die. It just goes dormant. And so uh, uh, Rupert and uh, the, the management said, well, we're going to plant that same kind of fescue out at uh, Belly Neal, and the ground will be firm and running. So all we did was we irrigated it. Uh, I didn't build it. Uh, Bruce Hepner was actually the d- design associate for the golf course. He built it with a very a bunch of very talented shapers. They just irrigated it, they seeded it, and and then they let the grass grow. And so you just you basically just sort of smooth it out mm-hmm. and just and and put some pipes in. That's right. And then just lay some seed down and yes. and then wait wait a year. Wait a year. Uh, actually, it looks like a golf course. Uh, uh, you know, 120 days after you plant it. Whoa. But you don't really play it until it has time for that fescue to harden off. And so it takes about a year. But that's why pieces of golf land topography like that is, is so good for uh, is so good and, and you're gonna experience it because it was so ma- it was so natural looking, not man-made. And so it every after you walk around every hole and you come up on a crest and you go down a fairway and you come up a green, it's all so natural. You're going to think, man, I could just keep doing this all day long. You're, you're, you're a great example of what I find to be really energizing in the golf world, which is you, the muscle car thing. You know, you're like, you're like I didn't, you know, you, you never pictured yourself no. with, a, with a stitched belt and, no. and a crossed club logo. No. Um, how, do you, how do you manage, because I get this question a lot, because I'm not the, that guy either. I get the question of how do you manage going to ultra exclusive private courses? Um, you know, h- how do you manage that experience? You know, because because I, I look at it, I'm like, yeah, geez, like how do I manage that? You know, like I I think I just have to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just shut up, and I'm like, you know what, dude? Like, I don't I don't understand. I'm lucky enough to be here. Yeah. I wish everyone could come. Yeah. Well, I can tell you that I get to be involved uh, c- uh, right now consulting at some very uh, cool places. Yeah. I just finished restoring Sanctity Head Golf Course in Nantucket. I have no business being (laughs) I don't know about the East Coast. I don't know about the culture. I don't know about a Bostonian or a New York. I don't know about that. I know about Pueblo, Colorado. Right. But what I did learn and what makes me accepted at those places, places that I, you know, I couldn't afford to join, uh, and not saying I can't afford a uh, sankety head, but I just wouldn't know anything about it. What makes me accepted, what makes me successful, what makes me an integral part of those places is we have all a common denominator. All those people, they work hard. And they, a lot of those people work hard for their money, and they work hard to get where they are. Uh, many hours of not sleeping, many hours of, of intense work ethic. And that's all my dad taught me, work ethic. Uh, 
You work hard and people will respect you. They don't care if you're blue. They don't care if you're red. They don't care if you're green. You work hard and you show the intent that you understand what you're doing and that you're willing to put in a hard day's work and give them the, the attention they need. Eric, anything that you do, when you do it, you do it well. You do it. You work at it hard. You give it everything you can. You show passion. People, they don't care if you're green or blue or orange. You have passion. You work hard. You believe in what you do. You show them that you're successful at other places that you've worked on. And we're all the same, man. We're all the same. Whoa. <laughs> Is it? You're also a Dr. Seuss writer? <laughs> no, no. I Copywriter just, for Dr. Seuss? I just know that my dad used to yell at me when I was growing up, and he used to always tell me, get out of this house and go do something. How do you manage, uh, you know, working hard is, is an interesting topic, right? I, I, uh, I, I sometimes experience, uh, you know, telling someone, oh, where are you going? And I'll say, I'm going here. And they say, work or pleasure. And I say, huh. I don't know how to answer that. Yeah. You know, and I feel very lucky. Work. It's always work. It's you're, always work, but it's always not work. You're always working, Eric, <laughs> but you're not. We're in the same situation. We're playing golf today, but you're still working. Your brain's still working about ideas and thinking about what you do. When I'm out there playing at Common Ground today, we're having fun. But I'm thinking, man, if I'd have just raised that bump a little bit more. Interesting. If I'd have set that bunker back a little bit. Ooh, that tree is starting to grow up a little bit over there. We should think about taking that out. There's a couple bushes out there that I, I'm going to ask them to take down a little bit because it's starting to hide one of the bunkers. Interesting. So even though we're playing, I'm still looking. Right. When you're working, you're playing. When you're playing, you're working. It's an ethic that we have. It's a work ethic that we have. We talked a little bit last night about scheduling this because we got to leave right after this. And I said, are you okay with playing nine? And then we'll do, because everyone else is out there playing That's right, right now. That's right. They're still having and fun. So you're right. I mean, yeah, we're working. And this is, this is my, my main job is basically, uh, well, I don't really understand it yet, but it Me seems, like this, seems like plugging these mics into this little recorder here is part of the job. And talking about architecture is, is what I love doing. Yeah. Talking about experiences that I've had is what I love doing. Um, I can't write worth a lick. I, really? I cannot write. I, it, if I'm going to write a sentence to a club, it <laughs> takes me like two days. <laughs> if you just let me tell you over the phone or in person, right? Uh, I mean, I'm just better at being in person. But we still enjoy the same thing, golf. Yeah. But we go about it different ways. We have a passion in different ways. We have the energy in different ways. I lay awake at night thinking of the next thing I'm going to do. I lay awake at night thinking when I'm on the road working. I remember building Pacific Dunes. I couldn't sleep at night because I could hardly wait to start the next day. <laughs> when I was at Old McDonald, building Old McDonald, I couldn't sleep at night because I could, I could hardly wait till the next day because I could go out there and be creative again. Right. And when you have those creative juices, it's hard to stop it. Your energy, today I watched you. It's hard to stop that energy. Right. And it's, it's, it's addicting. It's, it's it your is. passion. And you're just waiting for the next golf course to show more energy. Yeah. We got, um, you know, one question I get a lot is, how you doing? We got a, we got a, oh, we're going to the safe. We got, what's your name? I'm Drew. We got Drew. He's opening up the safe. What's in, is this like golf balls in here? No, I'm hoping he finds a lost <laughs> Seth Rayner routing <laughs> yeah. of Cypress Point. Attribution of Cypress, yeah. <laughs> we got, uh, I can see the code, basically. 
Um, no, I think, you know, interesting here. We got Seth in here. This, or no, sorry, Drew. It, one of the things, nice Link Soul hat there. We got Goat Hill. We got, um, you know, it, here we got, he's got a job, right? He's working in golf. A big question I get from listeners of the podcast, followers on Instagram is, I love golf. I'm jealous of your job. How do I get your job? What's up, man? <laughs> how do I get your job? How do I, how do I work in golf? You know what I mean? Like, and, and, and I guess you, obviously, your story doesn't quite translate to a lot of people, but, but you've seen a lot. You've met so many. You've met all the greats, right? You've met so many people in golf who've devoted their lives to the game. What do you see in common with them that you think you could help a 14-year-old kid out there who just wants to live in golf? Well, again, I can't tell you how to be an architect because I didn't grow up wanting to be one. I couldn't tell you how to be and what you do, Eric, because I didn't grow up in Good, because I can't all. either. Well, what you, what you do is, is very well. Your goat thing with Akbar, <laughs> that, was, that was off the charts good. But that's creativity. How to get in this business. I don't know. You could tell somebody to go to landscape architecture class. You can tell them to go to civil engineering. You could tell them to take... Uh, 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 landscape, land planning. You could tell them to do all of that. But Pete Dye would say, who was a very successful insurance salesman, you don't need to do any of that. I had no idea. He was, an, he was a very successful insurance salesman. Unbelievable. And he gave that up to go do a golf architecture. His, his wife, Alice Dye, very famous uh, amateur golfer. Yeah. But they just loved, they had the common ground of being common ground no no uh, pun intended they had the common love of golf and they they wanted to express that in architecture i had no idea i could tell somebody go get a degree in land planning landscape architecture civil engineering work for somebody hands-on like i did as a shaper raking shoveling being creative and then hopefully you'll get a chance it's so hard right now, Eric, for young kids to get a chance because there's not a lot of golf courses being built. Mm -mm. And the, the ones that are being built are usually taken by the successful premier premier guys, Coor and Crenshaw. They are premier. Gil Hands, have you ever met him? I haven't met Gil. Gil is the coolest guy. You, you ever. and he probably share the most in common amongst uh, contemporaries, right? Well, he just—he's still building his own stuff. He's on a bulldozer. Him and Jim Wagner—they're still building <laughs> cool stuff. That's how I know. That's all I know. Build it by yourself. Pete Dye said, "If you want it done right, do it yourself." Wow. That's how I know how to do it. How do you transform that from a landscape architecture class? I don't know. But if you get, you're willing to work with a crew, construction crew, architect. From the ground up, maybe you'll get your chance. Sadly, there's only a few jobs that are available, and Mike Kaiser's usually doing them, some of them. Right. A few other developers across the country, but really it goes to the same old guys. Hopefully the young kids that are coming up will get that chance. Right. And I only hope that they have the same chance. If they want to come and uh, sit on a, a golf course with me doing restoration work, Happy to have them. If I get a new design job, I'd love to have a bunch of young kids because they give you energy. Right. You want that energy. You don't you want it. the same old thing. You want young kids willing to do stuff, willing to do cool stuff. And I think that's how you get started. Hands on, working for a company, working for an architecture group, and then see where it goes. You see how much energy you have. We probably, uh, in some ways, have a lot in common in that way because, like, one of my, th my, my, 
not one of my, but my favorite thing about my job is that, uh, you know, we're, uh, we're a team of explorers and we go out there, we find things, we record them and then we share them. And so it's from almost every aspect of it, more or less, it's a group, whether, whether it's a group, um, you know, conceiving it, a group c- capturing it and creating it or a group sharing it and then hearing what people think about it. It must be really exciting for you to have someone walk up to you after playing a hole and sort of have had an experience or something. I have had an experience, but along with your group, there is a group of people that build these golf courses. And the cool thing about Common Ground, and I said this today to you several times, Eric uh, Eric Iverson did that golf hole. Right. And Don Plasic did that golf hole. And, and Eric put that feature here, and Eric did this. It's the group of people who build these things. Right. It's not the photo of the architect standing in the magazine pointing, you know, I did that. It's these guys who had the creativity to go around the golf course and be creative, the group. And so when you say, man, I really like that uh, 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 third hole at uh, Common Ground, well, that's a lot of Don Plasic uh, thinking about what he wanted to do under the you know, Renaissance Golf Design banner. A group of people creating, being creative. And, and being a hang around a lot of kids doing this, hanging around shapers, hanging around people in the golf business, it's so cool. Is so it, it, you're making it almost sound like it's a basketball team where there's a coach that's like sort of working out players, how they play together, and sort of you have some individual plays, you have a lot of group plays. I mean, I'm sure that that's not it, but I, I didn't quite realize to that extent that that's oh, the yeah. case. Oh, it, 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 you, for anybody who tells you this is done by one person, they're full of it. <laughs> because there are, I never forget, Jonathan Reister, a very talented shaper who, who's... Uh, who's uh, gone on to get his uh, advanced major degree in land planning. That guy had so much creativity. You couldn't draw. You couldn't draw on a piece of paper what he was building. Right. And so when people try to draw plans and say, do this and that, a, a drawing a, a, an idea on a piece of paper is only two dimensions. you got to find somebody who's willing to put that third dimension in. That's why Pete, like me, I was able to interpret the third dimension of golf course design. Jonathan Reister building cool stuff out here at Common Ground. Jonathan Reister helping me build an old McDonald. It's those people that put in that little extra touch, that little extra, uh, that little extra artwork. Uh, the, uh, whatever you do, how you could apply it, it's those other people that help you do that stuff. It's the passion that you all enjoy. And unfortunately, the family you build when you build these golf courses has to disband eventually. Yeah. And that's the bummer part. It when is. The family comes together to build a golf course. And then when it's over, the family disabands, and it's always a, it's very hard, um, felt to me when I have to say goodbye to all these guys because we put a lot of effort in for a year, year and a half, building these really cool golf courses that people just play, right? But they don't know that understand the family that was behind it building it. That's the cool part. I hope uh, that when whenever your news is announced that uh, it's not too late in the process to document the entire thing. I think you would enjoy it. How fucking cool would that be? I think people would get a kick out of understand how this really happens. Yeah. Somebody built that bunker, but it really wasn't somebody building that bunker. The wind kind of blew it. It looked right, and we just seeded it. Right. So there's more to that than just somebody pointing on the hill, taking a photo op. It's the family that built that golf course. That'd be cool if we could show that. I would love that, yeah. yeah. Uh, then we could become part of the same family for a little bit. And you would fall in love with me, and then you'd hate me <laughs> at the end. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, any any questions for me? I'm done. I'm done. Thank you for having me. We had a nice time. <laughs> thank you for having me. <laughs> we had a nice thank, talk. Thank you for taking the time. Oh, just um, talking. And I guess you know. I guess I would like to thank Akbar. Thank Seamus Golf. Agreed. They uh, he does such a great job of not just you know making obviously cool stuff to buy for yourself or your friends. Creative. Creative. Handmade. Passion. Started as an accountant. Became it made a head cover for fun. Uh, Akbar's one of those guys that's part of my family in golf, and yours too. Agreed. And brought us together now, stepbrothers. And sometime, and we'll do it again, yeah. and again, and again. Yeah. And pretty soon, it'll just be like, I can hardly wait to meet you somewhere else cool. Right. Make sense? I love that. Great. I love, do you ever wake up on a plane and you're like, where the fuck am I going? I wake up in the hotels many a time. <laughs> and you're like, what city? I don't know where I'm at. I have to gather my thoughts. But usually, that's after not a lot of sleep anyway. Right. I still love it. When the passion burns out, I won't do it anymore, but I still have the passion. We both have it. Yeah. We both sense it, and uh, that's good for both of us. 200 nights a year you're on the road? If not more. If not more. So what tips for traveling for, for me? What do you got? Uh, good question. <laughs> I have no tips. You don't have any? You well, don't have any things you got to do? People, when they travel with me, they, they, they know my routine at dinner. They know my routine at lunch. They know my routine when we check in, when we check out. What's these routines? What are they? I'm trying to make my life as easy as possible. Okay. I'm trying to make my life like it is at home. Okay. I'm trying to make an interaction because you never know who you're going to meet on the road. Right. And, and they always say to me, George Waters, who works for the USGA, used to do a lot of shaping for me. He used to always say, can you just order dinner? <laughs> but I don't just order dinner. I want to know who's serving me. I want to meet I want to meet everybody around me because a part of our travel is that you never know who you're going to get to meet. And everybody you talk to always has a story. And I'm always trying to search that out because part of the travel is you get to see people. Yeah. Part of the travel is you get to interact with people. And so when I go to dinner or when I go to the hotel or when I get a rental car, I try to make it the best experience I can make it. Because when you get tired of traveling, we're done. Dude, you should have been a filmmaker, man. I don't know, man. I don't know, dude. <laughs> you, we share a lot in common in that way. That takes a lot of energy, though, but it also it provides energy. It provides energy. The people you meet, you never know who you're going to see on the on the airplane. You're never going to you never know who you're going to see at a hotel. You're never going to know when you're going to see at a rental car company. I've met some of the most coolest people traveling. Right. And so you don't want to ever give that chance. You don't ever want to be in a little box and pretend like you're somebody important because you're not. <laughs> you're really not. And for any, if, and, and you want to always ex, expand out and see what's around you. I used to do photography. That would be for filmmaking. And uh, Richard Avedon was, you know, top of the game, right? And uh, he, he apparently, I never met him, but it was very self-effacing. And he said, uh, he was very open about ideas. And he said, you know, uh, a lot of times the best idea comes from the caterer. And you'd never know. <laughs> and and people say, that Jim's a nutball. He's getting ideas from restaurants. I got the idea about visual spectrum yeah. from walking down the turnstile at the Guggenheim Museum in New York. Wow. When you look at art from different angles, not straight on, but you look at it from across the turnstile or across the, the, the veranda or across the hall, the art looks different. And I learned by walking down the... Have you ever been to Guggenheim Museum? Oh, yeah. As you walk down that... Uh, and you're looking at different art, it all looks different, even though it looked different from you standing right in front of it. So I learned that you can't look at a golf course from a tee box. you got to look at it from a green, from a fairway, and you got to look across the panoramic from left to right. And those are all the things I learned. I just happened to notice that at the Guggenheim Museum, and I thought, 
well, gee, if they do that in art and the presentation of art, shouldn't golf do the same thing? You may have just answered this, but I, we should just finish with, uh, you know, we, 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 as we, you've given travel tips, you've given, uh, you've given some history to uh, the context of some of the great architects. You've, uh, you've talked, uh, told us a lot about your story and what we can learn from that. What, as, as people shut this fucking podcast off and <laughs> finally get out of the car, whatever they're doing, what, what can we go do? What can we go do when we play golf next? How can we look at it a little bit more from your perspective? And you may have just kind of answered that, but in simple ways, are there things that we can look at and kind of change that experience in some way? Well, I would say, I wouldn't say that for every golf course, but I would say for golf courses I was involved with, look, about the, look, at, look at it as art. And I guess you could do it at every golf course. Look at it as art. Look at it as an experience. Look at it as not about what you scored there, but the experience that you had there. It's not, a, it's not whether you got a bogey or a birdie. It's the experience you had while you were on that golf hole. And then if you put those 18 holes in context of the whole day of your three or four or five hour round of golf, what did you get out of it? Not just what you put down on the scorecard. Throw that scorecard away. We have a we have a hashtag called uh, postcards, not scorecards. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what I would say. The next time you go on a golf course, enjoy the day, not the score. Enjoy the experience of that golf hole, the negatives and the positives, the trials and the tribulations, and just enjoy the golf course for what it is. Don't try to pan it as something that it isn't. Just go out and experience see, it. See, but as a guy who just broke 80 for the first time in like a full calendar year, I know. How, how, do you, how do you deal with the, it's, it's an addictive. Agreed. Score is addictive. To get better. How do you deal with that? There's nothing wrong with trying to get better. And there's nothing wrong with buying another driver to hit it farther. But see, I look okay, at good. it differently. I look at it way differently. I look at it the experience that I'll get with you, playing with Akbar, playing with other people, playing with people I don't know. The experience I get out on the golf course, being outside, yes, we all want to be better. But for me, the shot I hit with the three medal on number eight and putting it onto the green on the ground, that was an experience that I enjoyed. Everybody's different. Just enjoy the day for what it is. Give itself some time. Enjoy the walk. Meet the people around you. Do you ever come out here incognito? Uh, I always, well, look at me today. I got a shirt untucked. No, but I mean, do you ever come out here and just play with a random threesome? And, yes, and then I they're do. like, I, I do that a lot. Like, who the fuck put this bunker here? No, I, I do that a lot. I do that. I used to do that at Bandon a lot. Really? Yes. I used to just go play and, and I'd listen to people and see what they say. And I'd always say, what's your favorite golf course? And not telling them who I am. I'd always ask who, what their Never. favorite. And everybody had a different favorite golf course for a different reason. So for all of the things that I think are idyllic, what I would try to put in a golf course, everybody gets out of it something different. Right. You get something out of it different than I do. And so you're trying to learn from that experience. And if you play golf with people who don't know that you're in the golf business, you learn a lot about what's important. For some people... How warm was the beer, or how cold was the beer? It's 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 so many are like separate factors too. There's so hospitality, many hospitality, restaurant. How you were treated when you checked in. That's how, a big one. It's a big thing. Well, I've actually heard, you know, I've heard that National Golf Links they can be not the nicest. Well, I've never had that experience. Well, yeah, I mean, you're a legend. But I'm not a legend. You walk in and they're like Hall of Famer. No, not at all. Not even close. <laughs> not even close. But I would. But you're you walk in with a positive attitude no matter where you I go. I do. And I that do. Re and that reciprocates. And that reciprocates. And I, I, like I travel, 
I walk in, I travel with the positive attitude. Yeah. Because if you travel with a negative attitude, you're doomed. Might as well leave. But cold beer. <laughs> How was the hot dog? Right. How did they treat me on the first tee? Right. And I'm thinking, Eric, that they care about architecture? Right. No nah. way. That's so funny. Because they don't care about architecture. They care about the extra, the things that right. I don't even think about. Wow. It's literally like, uh, you know what they say in, like, in, uh, in a movie, good editing should go completely unnoticed. Yeah. It should right. just be if, right. If you notice the editing, something's wrong. That's right. And so it's like if you notice the golf course, That's there's right. something wrong. And I always say that people don't know architecture. They just experience architecture. Whoa, it's like subliminal. You, you, you know, I know why I liked it or I didn't. I don't know about the architecture, but I like that hole. Yeah. I don't know why I liked it. I just did. So they're experiencing architecture for 18 holes. Right. But other people are experiencing what they scored and how come that driver isn't going as far as they said or why the pop isn't cold. So you <laughs> never pop. you never know the soda. You never know what people are getting out of their day. And I say make it a positive experience. Put the scorecard away for a day and, and, and enjoy the walk. And I think you'll get more out of the game. I have another question now. Um, uh, I feel like, uh, how long have we been going? Oh, my God. 90 minutes. Sorry, everybody. Whew. It's a two-parter. Last question. Yeah. Do you, how do you determine, because every hole is different for every player, right? What yep. Some hit a draw, some hit a fade, yep. some are lefty, some are righty. Yep. How do you determine, do you, do you try to have a set number of holes that go left and right? No. that's Don't care. Don't care. That's modern architecture trying to pacify the modern golfer. Whoa. Trying to have nine left, nine right, or Correct. eight, six left, six right. Correct. Some of the best golf courses, some of the best rallies, some of the best layouts don't have any rhyme or reason huh. of why they are what they are. If you took Cypress Point, the last, I'm sorry, 15, 16, and 17. Right. The ocean's on the right. Yeah. If you really cared about what golfers experienced, a lot of golfers hit a slice. Yeah. So they'd be slicing into the ocean every time. If they yeah. worried about rules and regulations, they would have mm -hmm. never built those three holes. It's interesting. So you cannot take that into consideration when you're doing a routing. Balance of left and right. Balance of par 36, 36. I think some of the I think we're missing some of the best architecture in golf because we're so married to par seventy two. What if we did a golf course par sixty eight, par sixty nine, and we just made it the best holes possible? If people never looked see, I keep going back to that scorecard. Yeah. If people never looked at the scorecard and they just experienced the golf course and they found up, whoa, I played a par sixty eight. Right. It could be the best experience of their life. But because they're married to these ideas of what I'm trying to do. That's why land is so important. Right. 90% of the, the success of a golf course is the land that you got to use. Not whether you balanced it left and right, half fade, half draws. Not whether you had par 36, 36. It's about the experience of the golf architecture as it stands alone without any mathematical computations. See, that, that was my experience at Lynx of Spanish Bay. Like, I was like, God damn, they had to do so much work to get us back to the backside. Yeah. And they had to take us through, like, the forest, which is fine on the face of it. It's but, fine. like, it's fine. why not just build a rad par 62 course all on that little front spot of land where everyone can see each other? And don't you think that somebody said at one point during that process, 
why don't we just keep them out here? Yeah. Oh, we can't do that. We no. got to have returning nines. We have to have par seventy-two. But it doesn't even. Oh no, it does return. It. Well, it, not really. Not really. Spanish not really. Bay doesn't really. No, not really. But just think if you your experience would have been out there and yeah. not back into the trees. That would have been amazing. But if somebody sees a scorecard and it says par sixty-two, would they go? I guess. How many times have I played the Peter Hay course? Not that Agreed. many. Agreed. Agreed. It's tragic. And man. I could go on and on and on of all those golf courses. We only played nine holes today. That was great. It was great. Yeah, I almost had one of my best nines. I agree. Why why ruin it by going to the back nine? <laughs> Let's do a podcast instead. <laughs> Everyone's about to come in. We're gonna have lunch. Thank you for listening to the Eric Lang show, Jim. Thank you so much for spending my time pleasure. with me. My pleasure. Us. My pleasure. <laughs>